Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley. Thanks for being with us. In this episode, you know, last week we talked about Kanye West and anti-Semitism. Now it's Kyrie Irving's turn. Why do these tropes keep coming up? It's becoming intergenerational. And why do some people spring to the defense of both Irving and West? The FBI issues a warning to synagogues in New Jersey about possible anti-Semitic attacks. Will the Republicans run the table in Wisconsin and in Congress? Barack Obama joins President Joe Biden in an effort to try and save the midterms for Democrats. And employment goes up by a decent amount. But is it enough? And finally, COP27. Will anything concrete come of it? So here we go. Some people may have forgotten a prominent American athlete tried a few years ago and said a few years ago that the earth was flat. You may remember he ended up apologizing for that one to science teachers across the country. One would think that would make people take his utterances with a grain of salt. Not so his posting of an anti-Semitic film, Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America. I haven't seen the film, would not waste my time. However, I've heard about some of its assertions over many, many years. It says black people are the original descendants of the Israelites and that today's Jews stole that heritage from black people. It also claims there's an international Jewish conspiracy and that Jews control the media. Now again, I have heard this so many times, it makes my head hurt. And I've heard it when I was doing talk radio and people would call up with a straight face and be terminally serious. Say, well, you know, the Jews control the media. And Jews is an international conspiracy. All of this, it's not new. And that's really my point. It is not new. It's alleged research for this kind of thing is paper thin. And its rationale for this kind of thing is nothing but crap. Kyrie Irving not only posted a link to this 2018 film, but initially doubled down on it. That and another lunatic conspiracy theory from none other than Alex Jones. So what do we have here? Kyrie Irving, the world is flat. Hebrews to Negroes, wake up black America and some conspiracy theories courtesy of disgraced radio personality Alex Jones. All this taken together should have the effect of turning him into a straight-up clown. But consider for a moment that his tweet helped rocket that film to the top of Amazon's charts. Think about that for a minute. Now, you might want to ask yourself why we're doing a little critical thinking on this. Of all the things that Kyrie Irving could have posted a link to, I don't care, basketball, gambling, whatever. He chooses to post this link. Why? I cannot think of a single reason why, except that he believes it. That he looked at the movie or actually bought the book, read it, and took it as fact. 
Now, that shows a stunt, for me anyway, it shows a stunning lack of critical thinking. It shows a stunning lack of research. You can argue till the cows come home about whether black people were the original Israelites. I don't know. I wasn't around then. I know that there was a group of people in New York that used to call themselves the Hebrew Israelites, and they used to stand on street corners all over Manhattan, proselytizing about how they were the original Israelites. Whatever. Okay, if that's what you believe, that's what you believe. But Kyrie Irving has 14.7 million followers. 14.7 million. Many of them are young people. Many of them are, how best to put this, malleable. Okay? And that's why this particular film, after Kyrie Irving posted the link, ended up shooting to the top of Amazon. Now, people have been asking why Amazon continues to sell the film. That is a legitimate question. My guess is that the pressure on Jeff Bezos will be such that Amazon will cease selling it by the end of this week. As it turns out, they've already posted a disclaimer. Haven't stopped selling it, but they have posted the disclaimer on the film. Pointing out Amazon's hypocrisy, however, does not absolve Kyrie Irving of his responsibility in promoting anti-Semitism. It didn't help that it took a suspension from the Brooklyn Nets for him to offer an apology. Even more mind-boggling is the fact, as I mentioned earlier, he's got 14.7 million followers on Twitter. My take on this is quite simple, and it applies both to Kyrie Irving and Kanye West, or Yeezy, or Yee, or whatever he calls himself this week. And I want to emphasize this. Both of these individuals have the First Amendment right to say or promote whatever they please, short of, of course, shouting fire in a crowded theater. So, too, do the people who they do business with, those folks, have the right to find that speech objectionable and to cease to do business with both. See, because Kyrie Irving doesn't have a First Amendment right to sell sneakers. Kanye West doesn't have a First Amendment right to have his fashion show, uh, his fashion stuff shown on runways. They don't have that right. So, if that's how they want to roll, if that's what they want to promote, if for them this is fact, fine. They are doing serious damage to people, but that obviously is not their primary concern. When they start realizing how much all this is costing them, that will, in fact, be a concern. And that's precisely what's begin, begun to happen. Some of the companies they're doing business with are walking away, in some cases, running away. Now, all this is sad to me personally, because I remember a time when black athletes and entertainers stood for something other than their own aggrandizement. 1967 comes immediately to mind. I know young people don't want to hear about back in the day. I understand that. But what they should know about are athletes, black athletes like Bill Russell, 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, and especially Muhammad Ali. Those assembled athletes stood in support of Ali, who refused to be drafted into the U.S. military. That was a profile in courage on the part of the athletes and on the part of Muhammad Ali, who shortly thereafter was uh, convicted by a jury who deliberated 20-some-odd minutes, and they convicted him of draft evasion. And you know what Ali said? He said, I'll do the time. I'll go to jail. And as it turned out, he gave up probably three of the most profitable years of his entire career standing on principle. Can Kanye West or Kyrie Irving say anything similar? That is why Ali and his refusal to go into the service is seared in my own memory and probably in the memories of many black people who were young at that time. So too was a stand that Colin Kaepernick took, a stand that cost him his career. The fact that West's and Irving's ridiculous actions should be seared in the memory of my grandchildren makes my blood boil. Now, there are reports that Irving is talking about retirement. We'll see. I've had disagreements with some positions of the Israeli government in the past. I do, however, in the face of that, abhor anti-Semitism on the part of anyone, black, white, or sky blue, green. We have a situation where anti-Semitic acts of violence are on the rise to the point that the FBI has warned synagogues in New Jersey to be on the alert. The entire situation, the entire ugly situation can be summed up with the following words. Words do in fact have consequences. Up next, by the time most of you are hearing this, the midterms will be done. No matter what the outcome, there are lessons to be learned by both Democrats and Republicans. This is The Intersection. You're listening to The Intersection of Politics and Culture with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. This past weekend, Democrats rolled out their heavyweights, not to capture seats in Congress they hoped to flip, but to stop the bleeding in places they thought were safe. Former Presidents Clinton and Obama, Hillary Clinton and others, ended up going out on the road. Obama did so with President Joe Biden. And from all accounts, he was a big hit in the crucial swing state of Pennsylvania. Yet all this last-minute firepower may be in vain. That's because the polls are telling us that the Democrats are sunk in Congress. The reason is partly because of what I talked about last week, a distinct lack of boldness on the part of the Democratic Party. No matter how these midterms turn out, a rethink of the politics of government is certainly in order. If you believe the two biggest problems facing Americans are inflation and crime, the Democrats are going to have to come up with remedies, serious remedies for both. I said before, and you know, I, I get tired of saying I told you so, but I said before that I wasn't sure that the abortion decision by the Supreme Court was going to have that 
kind of impact on this election. Now, you know, the jury may still be out. We shall see. The straight fact is Republicans may talk a good game on both while they're out of power. I'm talking about now inflation and crime. But what will they do when or if they're in the driver's seat? History tells us that they don't always get it right. That they don't always tamp down inflation. They don't always reduce crime. Some places yes, some places no. Democrats need to take advantage of that and let the nation know where they stand on these two crucial issues. While they're at it, they cannot let a Republican majority in the House, should it come, they should not let it kill off the January 6th committee. I know that that's what Kevin McCarthy, who's now the minority leader, he has said time and time again, if he became speaker, the January 6th committee would end up being toast. Now, I think that the people on the January 6th committee are in fact providing an extraordinary public service to the United States of America. Because those people that rioted, that assaulted the seat of democracy deserve to be exposed and deserve to be punished. Now, January 6th committee can't lock anybody up, but they can certainly point out to people, point out to the public, the folks who were complicit in that heinous act. Now, again, I know that this is a GOP priority, getting rid of that committee or negating them or cut off their legs, whatever. But the Democrats have to fight the Republicans' truth, tooth, that is, and nail on this. The sad perception is that the GOP out of power can still stymie democratic initiatives. They've managed to do it for the last couple of years. The Democrats need to prepare now for when the new Congress is seated in January, no matter who is in the majority. That meaning that if the, Repub if the Democrats maintain the majority, they have to have a clear agenda they have to have clear messages to the American people, and they have to make it known right after the new Congress is seated. How these things will be accomplished is beyond my pay grade, but that's what members of the House and Senate get paid to do. I've said too many times to count that new innovative ways to deal with issues that people care about should be priority number one. That's not to say that people don't care about abortion, support for Ukraine, and the like. They do. But they care more about their safety, and they care more about their pocketbooks, if polling is to be believed. I warned about this potential erosion of support for Ukraine a couple of months ago. It's going to speed up if the DO, uh, GOP, that is, takes even one House of Congress. At the very least, it could create a greater push for a negotiated settlement, which the Ukrainians themselves would oppose. All this is at stake in the 2022 midterms. No matter what happens, if the Democrats want to hold on to the White House in two years, they better start planning now. Enough said. Up next, here's a question for you. 
How much jet fuel is discharged into the atmosphere as world leaders, by and large, fly to the COP27 conference in Egypt? I don't know, and the COP27 isn't talking. This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. Issue-oriented conferences, almost without exception, have several things in common. One, if they're global, people fly to them. With few exceptions, they're given in posh resort cities and towns around the world where food, drinks, and parties are all a given. And at the end, attendees pledge to do whatever the conference was intended to achieve. Now, whether they actually do it or not is quite another story. And so the COP27 conference is underway in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, where they reportedly lock up climate activists. Now, think about this for a minute. They are holding a global climate summit in a country where climate activists end up behind bars. Well, uh, maybe it's a contradiction. I don't know. I know the Sharm el-Sheikh is apparently... Uh, a world-class resort town, and maybe that's why they did it, you know, because they wanted to have room for a few parties or whatever. I don't care, but that's the long and the short of it. Now, that's either ironic, outrageous, or both. Greta Thunberry, who has done more to spotlight climate change than any world leader, isn't going. She knows better. The participants have already staked out their policy positions, which happens whenever you leave pressing planetary issues to politicians. Optimists will say there's always a chance for a breakthrough at these gatherings, though it's rare that the various nations agree beyond some vague pledges to do better. In the meantime, the planet, Mother Earth, doesn't care. Wildfires, floods, melting ice caps, they all roll on with a frequency that can only be traced the inability to recognize the necessity of change. I have friends who send me lovely pictures from places like upstate New York, Mexico, Europe, you name it. I marvel at the Earth's beauty, both through their photographs and my own experience, through my own eyes. And I worry whether or not my grandkids will ever get to see the world the way I do. I wonder if what they're trying to, what we're trying to do is, in fact, achievable at these climate summits. Is it too late? Is the fight against climate change already gone past the point where no conference can fix it? Are people ready, as a couple of friends we met this past weekend did, to pattern their leisure time around sustainability? That would mean not flying, but driving around Europe, for example, in an electric car. A small step, you say? Yeah. But what about if everybody patterned their lives around leaving the smallest carbon footprint possible? That would also eliminate the need for whataboutism, as in, well, what about China? Or what about India? We talked last week about the long-term effects of climate change. Fighting global warming must become 
a part of our collective DNA. We in the developed world must start doing best practices and developing those practices so that they can be passed on to developing nations. And finally, we must begin to use global climate summits like COP27 to do more than spew hot air. Maybe we have to put our developed world money where our mouths are. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley. And music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.